Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Arcane Academy podcast. I am your host, Marcus K. Ironwood. Today, I have an interview uh, for you that I conducted with the one and only Thomas Prower. Uh, he is the author of such wonderful books as La Santa Muerte, uh, Queer Magic, and Morbid Magic. Um, he's a great researcher. He's a great writer. Uh, all of his books have wonderful contributors to them that add their own personal lived experiences just further flesh out the topics. Good stuff. Wonderful stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan. So I had the pleasure of sitting down and uh, talking with him the other day. Uh, we got into some of the questions that um, he normally talks about in his lectures, uh, like who is La Santa Fuerte? How did he get involved with that community? And why his uh, work has so many uh, contributors to it and just kind of had a really wonderful conversation. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with him and I really hope that you enjoy the interview. So you have a better understanding of who Thomas Prower is before we jump right into the interview, um, which actually leads into some of the questions I had for him right away. Uh, I'm actually going to read the his bio for you. Uh, this is pulled directly from his website, thomasprower.com. Thomas Prower is the international author of multiple best-selling books. A graduate of the University of California, Santa Barbara, he holds two degrees, one in global socioeconomics and one in Latin American and Iberian studies. Being natural-born globe trucker, he sought additional education at the Universidad de Chile while working as a translator for their literature department. Due to his fluency in English, French, and Spanish, he was given the opportunity to become a cultural liaison for the French government in South America between France, the United States, Chile, Peru, and the member states of Massacre. During this time, he traveled extensively in the Amazon jungle, learning as much as he could about the region's indigenous peoples. Upon returning to the United States, Tomas moved to Reno and became the external relations director for the American Red Cross in Nevada before moving back home to Los Angeles, where he is a had a brief stint as a night shift mortician. Now he pursues his fascination for the mystical side of life as a full-time writer and author giving lectures and workshops around the globe. How are you doing? How's how's it going, Tomas? I'm doing pretty right. Pretty all right. I mean, I'm surviving the best I can. I'm in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is doing relatively well. And my normal life is kind of quarantine life. I don't like going out to big places with lots of people in it. So I naturally avoid that. And I'm a homebody who writes from home. So nothing's really changed except watching the world burn from my window. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't laugh, but yeah, you you are definitely a more of a, a homebody, a more of a private person. So life hasn't, it's, you're kind of a little bit more of an observer Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The voyeuristic tendencies. Uh, that's a different show. We can talk about that later. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Patreon level. That's the Patreon exclusive. Uh, $20 or above level. You have to be over 18. <laughs> uh, no, that's Stephanie's podcast. <laughs> she's She's got an OnlyFans. <laughs> uh, what a terrible platform. So I did have a question. I was reading over your bio, and I thought that a really good way to 
introduce their or start the interview and get people to kind of know who you are if they're not familiar with your work would be to ask, uh, you state now that you're pursuing your fascination for the mystical side of life. Uh, how do you define mysticism? And um, what have you found since becoming a career writer? God, um, I have a very open interpretation of mysticism. Some people call it like, it's, it's, it's very eclectic. It's whatever works. And it's just trying to, trying to find out more, trying to find out more of the unknown and the, the answers that people can't answer, you know, like death or the unseen and magical powers and just trying to make the unknown known. And it's changed in a way from my writing because it's, I've just been doing a lot more like intensive research and, you know, when books get published and things sell, you know, you get a network a lot better and you meet people, you have more access to people who know more and you've kind of shown your worth, not your worth. This sounds awful, but you've kind of shown that you're serious about it. And so then the people who have more knowledge take you more seriously and they let you know a little bit more. So probably networking um, is really change things and let me see beyond what just gets printed in books or what's posted on blogs and you get that one-on-one -on -one connection with people that that's been magical so in when you first started i don't know when was santa muerte uh published 2016 2015 2015 so in the last like five years um kind of starting from that point of the unknown um obviously you've learned or discovered so much like you've written three books you know two books since then you've traveled more of the worlds you've met more people um i guess just kind of going off the cuff here but i'm just curious what are some of the things that you have if you kind of reflected and looked back at the last five years that you could kind of distill out if that makes any sense Oh, no, it makes total sense. And hopefully my answer will make sense because it's it's different, but it's definitely what I found out. It's, you know, the more you travel, the more you see, the more you do research, the more you realize how the same every single one of us is, you know, because when I try to, like, look into all these different religions and I reach out to people and I go places, I do things um, at the end of it all. I'm just like this isn't really that different. It's just a different kind of way of doing it. So I'm trying to find all these new things around the world, but all these new things just lead back to the same basic things. So I, the, distil the distillation would be, we're all essentially the same. And that's not like, you know, uh, hands around the world kind of a way, but as human beings, we're just, we have a very basic connection with nature and the world and the unknown. And we go about it in the very same way. We just carry it. We just use different names for it. So that's been fascinating. Cool. Um, so like when you say, you know, like we're all the same uh, and we're like finding that out and we're just using different names. Are you talking about like, like religion or our connection to the gods or like, I guess, give me an example. Oh, everything, everything. I mean, um, how you live your lives. I mean, like you look into love and you look into romance and it's very similar around the world. You look into those basic core emotions you have. But one of the biggest ones, you know, from the recent book, Morbid Magic is death. I was expecting to find all these random different kind of weird death things, which there are. But at the end of the day, um, it's people want 
funerals or burials or their last right rituals because a they don't want to be haunted so they want to make sure they get it right or b they believe there is an afterlife wherein you can still have connection with the spirit and those two things are the basic human being creations of why we do things in death rituals and it just comes out in a myriad different ways because of different life experiences and cultural stuff and like personal baggage and jazz like that. But at the end of the day, it's we're scared of the afterlife or we're excited for it. And it's just <laughs> how we do it. Nice. Yeah, that make that does make a lot of sense. Gosh, I'm thinking of like stuff in my undergrad years, just <laughs> doing like research and how it like it all kind of just trickle. It's all the same stuff, but it just trickles down into different cultures and it just looks different but at the end of the day it's all the same thing like an initiation oh, yeah. you know the initiation doesn't really mean anything it's how you got there that actually shows the the world and the community um that you did the thing yeah oh, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah uh well speaking of your research um Many people will know you for your research and your lectures on La Santa Muerte. Um, and you've spoken about that in like on numerous occasions. And um, I've seen your lectures and stuff. It's a very good, very well researched. For people who don't know uh, or have heard her name but don't know much about her, something about Mexico, something about the dead, um, who is she? Where she come from? Yeah. And then how did, because there's a difference between, oh, I'm interested in this figure and this culture and this th these practices and then sitting down and writing a whole book on 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 that so who is she and then how did you come about writing a a book all about her right i mean the cliff notes version of it is that she's essentially the spirit of death but not like some goddess of death or saint of death but like death itself like the actual physical embodiment of the energy of death and a lot of people look to her you know originated in mexico because you know when you come from a very mexican conservative catholic country and background and that's how everyone lives their lives in society around you if you don't fit into that mold you are kind of just left by the wayside so you have all these outcasts whether it's because you're a criminal you've done bad things in the past you know you're you're queer of some sort you are a self-empowered woman you know you're a prostitute if you're doing something society doesn't approve of you know and therefore catholicism doesn't approve of then you cannot turn to God for help because God's not going to help a prostitute, you know, turn a couple tricks tonight. God's not going to help, you know, this gay boy find a gay male lover. So what they do is they kind of circumvent that and they go to death and they ask death to do all these things for them because death doesn't judge. I mean, you could die young, rich, poor, good person, bad person. Death treats everyone equally. There's no favoritism. And by not having favoritism, people find kind of an oasis of like refuge. Cause even when you were looking other pantheons with other gods, gods tend to have a certain kind of, they want something out of it, or they want this thing, or they have their prejudices or they have their, you know, jealousies or something. There's a kind of emotional aspect to different gods, but death is just death. And so it's supreme neutrality and people find that comforting and like just a breath of relief. Especially, you know, when you've been growing up, been told that God doesn't love you. And I found out about this because, you know, I had moved back to Los Angeles from Reno and I have one of my 
what are my underworld friends, which is another conversation. Um, <laughs> say, hey, Tomas, you like you like all that dark stuff. You like that witchy stuff, don't you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, sometimes when I go cruising around downtown LA at night, you know, you go to you know the, you know those places. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, you know, there's these there's these outlet malls and there's this giant Grim Reaper statue and there's these candles and it's like midnight, man. You want to go to one? I was like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so i just you know and they didn't trust me at first because you know i speak spanish and i'm like half latino but if you've seen me i look like the lucky charms guy straight out of dublin <laughs> so people thought you know no one trusted me no one wanted to give me information you know was this an ice bust god only knows so no one was giving me information and slowly you know meeting the right people doing the certain research you know saying certain things that let you know that i know that it's okay um, it was a gradual process and I learned more and then just wrote the book on it because there wasn't something on English about it. It was very like Spanish central. So when you don't have any information on it, you get things like, you know, this awful penny, dre penny dreadful, like version of Santa Muerte, or you get this awful, um, what was a breaking bad version or the news headlights of here's these immigrant people praying to death, spilling blood into our country. And that's all, you know, like if there's no English information about her. So it just kind of set the record straight. Did you have any backlash from like the community that you were clearly working the in and had those connections when they found out that you were writing an, uh, a book about La Santa Muerte? Um, no, I got a lot of really positive support by a lot of people because, you know, they've been the people who worship La Santa Muerte, especially, you know, they're very maligned by society. And so it kind they saw it as a way of, OK, here you're getting the story out. We're not bad people. This is why we do this. So they're very appreciative. The only backlash I got from that Santa Muerte book was from like the people who own like temples or the people who own Santa Muerte churches, you know, the self-described popes of bishops of the religion because it was taking business away because they write their own books in Spanish and they, oh. by keeping the people ignorant, they keep the flock, you know, at the masses. So they are very upset that, you know, other people were, could get information in a mass market way. So it was business upsetness by the by the powers that be, but the comic folk loved it, and that's what matters. I mean, it's it's the it's the lives that you're touching, um, whether you're a practitioner or you're writing the book. It's not if you're holding the position of power, like lording it over people, that's kind of messed. Oh yeah, oh yeah, cool. Um, so I wanted to touch on another book of yours the um it's actually the reason that we know each other because i reached out um i did a lot of my undergrad research in queer issues and religion and spirituality um and there was a book called castile's encyclopedia of queer myth symbol and spirit that sounded like it contained a number of myths and legends and stories that had queer representation in them um, but I was never able to get that book uh, from a library. It's pretty elusive. And that was about 10 years ago when I saw the book uh, Queer Magic coming out from the Llewellyn. Uh, I was like, this is it. This is the book. Uh, it's true. It's really true. Um, and then when I actually, I mean, before I even read it, before I even read it, I think I reached out to you. It was like, 
you need to come and Magus and do this thing. You need to, this is going to be like the book. But that's probably also because I'm an egomaniac. So <laughs> not everyone's interested in what I'm interested in. Impossible. <laughs> ahead of the curve. Um, ahead of the curve. It, gay just means generations ahead of yesterday. <laughs> I did not come up with that. That was, uh, oh, no. Ornatia, uh, drag queen from New York. Oh, God. So I was gonna say uh, I was gonna ask. Um, so similar to the question about uh, what was it ri- like writing La Santa Muerte? Uh, what was it process writing a a book that covered so many different cultures and time periods? Yeah, what what was that process like? Because that must have been so much bigger than La Santa Muerte. It was bigger, but it was actually easier. Believe it or not, <laughs> um, I don't the, believe the it because. Um, you know, La Santa Muerte had been very hidden. Like, you didn't, like, even in the 90s, a lot of people didn't know about it. It went on, but you didn't know. And, of course, there's not as much information about it out there. So the Santa Muerte book is a lot more one-on-one talking and, like, going to places and meeting people because there's no books on it, especially in, like, 2014 when I was writing it. But here, you know, nowadays we have all this, you know, queer departments and universities, you know, queer studies, and you have all this more access to information. Plus, um, my degree at you know the university was in global socioeconomics. So a lot of my thesis papers, a lot of my research that I had been doing as a student was very cross-cultural, looking at all these different world things. So when I went into this one, I knew how to do it better because it was like doing – it was really – it's like a long college paper. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's – but it's, you know, it's not super – it's not super dry. I get to have fun with it because it is a book. And it's it was easy to write because I knew how to do it. There's more resources available. And after the success of Santa Muerte, like you get more access to other things and you can talk to more people. And, you know, when if you're just some like student and saying, I want to do this research project, reach out to somebody, you know, they might say, like, who is this? You know, I don't want to say nobody, but who's this rando contacting me? You know, if if you can send an email saying, oh, you know, I'm Tomas Prower, you know, I wrote this book, Santa Muerte, it's all here, you know, and it's selling well, and you can Google it, then they're like, okay, this person's for real. So it, you know, it's success. Nothing succeeds like success. Mm-hmm. So that helped me out in a lot of different ways. But it was actually easier. Plus, I'd been looking into, like, the hidden queer history all throughout my life. That was something I was fascinated about. You know, as a queer person, it's like, where are we? Where are we? And yeah, so it was it was a lot of research I've been doing all my life, and I knew how to do it, and I had better access because of previous success. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, when I saw that, I was like, it was same. Like, I did a lot of my research uh, in undergrad on queer myth. You know, I've been searching my whole life for finding my experience in these larger tales um finding some stuff but um the compendium that you wrote or um well obviously wrote but um then had contributors too i think really provides uh, i mean it was the it was the the source that i was looking for uh 12 years ago so um again congratulations on that it's i'm sure that I'm sure that I'm not the only one who has those same uh, feelings towards the book. It's, I mean, queer magic is, you know, it's out there, it's doing its thing, and it gets, 
it gets all the responses. It gets everything from like it saved my life, and you know, I, 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 the world is so much brighter now. To like, what are you doing talking about me? Cultures, there's never been queerness in Africa. How dare you swear oh, by? Yeah. I mean, it gets the extremes of like very appreciative people and very homophobic people. So it's so it's doing its thing, which is good. Exactly. Well-behaved women never make history. So congratulations. Uh, sure. <laughs> would Would you say that the response from uh, the, or specifically the negative response? And I think I've got a question about that a little bit later. Um, it's just a negative time in the world. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, would you say that the the negative response to queer magic has been stronger than some of the criticism that you got for La Santa Muerte? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you talk about, you know, queerness or just gayness or, you know, the whole spectrum, it's already a loaded word. And it's already so much ingrained in different people's minds, whether as bad or good. Santa Muerte, ain't no one ever really heard about that before. So it was like new information. So in, when you're learning something new, the first source you get it from tends to be what paints it for the rest of your life. Unless, you know, you're enlightened. But... Yeah, so people already had preconceived notions about queerness. And um, I mean, it's it gets a lot more good press than does bad press. But the bad press is, you know, ironically, it's it's not always, but it's very frequently from um, like sub-Saharan Africa or very sadly, like the colonized people. And it's weird because the whole book talks about how these cultures have always had queerness in them, you know, always had representations of it. It's like powerful priestesses, warriors, kings and queens and everything. But um, then colonialism came, destroyed their history, input, you know, the very Victorian homophobic information in them. So now, even though they're not colonies anymore, they're teaching a very Eurocentric version of themselves. I mean, if you look to the most, you know, fervently, fervently, you know, conservative um, beliefs, you know, you have like the Southern Baptist ones and you have, you know, in Africa, um, in slave days, you know, it was the traditional Caribbean religions. It was very queer friendly, but now it's a very bastion of anti-queerness. And so it's weird to see how the whole world has kind of shifted where in the past, every place that was very queer friendly is now anti-queer friendly. And all the places that were anti-queer are now pro-queer. Yeah. <laughs> there's and, a, there's, yeah, there's a lot but, there. But there's one thing I, I do, like the most ridiculous thing happened one time is something started, is someone started like bad-mouthing queer magic a lot. And they're, I'm not going to say where they're from, but they were like indigenous people from a certain place saying, you know, we're, we're, we, you know, we're from this place and we had gayness. You know, we had all these like sins, you know, all these bad things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, this person is just spreading lies about us. It gained traction because a lot of good-hearted, you know, very liberal, very left-wing people immediately saw here is this native person who is saying that this you know white looking american is bad mouthing them in a book and of course this is the twitter world you know the very short too long didn't read world so all these people are seeing oh this poor native person is being attacked by this evil white man when really the native person is saying <laughs> that queerness is wrong and that they, it's never existed in their country since time immemorial and i'm like do you do you know what you're supporting do you know what you're sharing like it was yeah. it was bizarre, and eventually I, it became so big that I had Llewellyn made me make a public statement on it. 
And, you know, I said, look, this is the information we had. Luella and I would be totally happy to change this information if you can show us that we are wrong. You know, provide us some better information in the next edition. We'll change it. I mean, we want the truth to be out. Mm -hmm. But the response is, well, why is it always white people have to write our histories? Where's the native people? You know, I responded by saying, you did look at the footnotes in that part of the book, right? You know, God knows if they read it. It was like, you do know the footnotes. You do know that the native, it was a native research project done by natives. Right. You know, the indigenous people of the land. And they're like, oh, well, they shouldn't be writing anyway. Queer people should only be writing our own history. I'm like, you do know that it was a queer indigenous group of the most prestigious university wrote that, right? And they're like, oh, well, they're not really queer. And I'm just like, uh, uh. yeah. At some point, they you don't want to. It just becomes they can't change their mind, or you you know they don't want to be wrong. It's it it's true. I mean, it's it's that's why queerness was it got as much flack as it did. And granted, it got more good press than bad press, but it, mm-hmm. it 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 touches a resonance with people when you you have to examine your life and something fundamental that you thought about your life proves to be not that way. Then you have to reassess your entire life. And you could be 40, 50, 60 years old and realize I spent the majority of my life believing something that wasn't true, following a falseness. That hurts. Mm-hmm. That strikes right in the soul. No, you've wasted your life. And it's easier to just promote the lie and save face than it is to admit that 60 years went by and you were wrong. Or that your the, your assertions hurt people. Oh, God, Yeah. Yeah, like that, that, that's one of the things that I think when we look at, you know, the culture wars or uh, with conservatives versus, you know, liberals or progressives or whatever, the, the hard part is saying, oh, my words and my thoughts are hurtful to you. Like that, that it's a, it's so hard to admit um, harm. You know, even even if you're coming from a place of love, doesn't matter what your intention was. It matters what the result was, and if the result was harm, that can be very very difficult to admit. That's true. It's true. Well, kind of like on that note of working with other people that help inform your writing, um, you know, you do include, especially in queer magic and morbid magic. Um, so what is it like uh, working with the contributors for your books and diving a little deeper? Um, why do you feel like it's important to include so many different voices in your work? Um, I think I think it's important because if you're writing a book about the world and, it, you know, you always have this one voice that comes from it. And mind you, it's well researched and you have, you know, footnotes and bibliography and everything. But if you're talking about the world and it's just you talking about the world it's it, it i don't know it just, there's just something very off with that but if you can get other people to say like look this is someone who's actually living you know as a muslim in india and this is how his life is being a queer person in that circumstance i don't know what that's like you know and i can do research and say this person said that but it's totally different when they write it themselves and you know the way the way you speak and the way you write it's like handwriting it's you know when someone else is talking, you know when someone else is saying their truth, and so that just adds a, a layer of verisimilitude 
to the whole entire book just makes it more more layered more realistic if you're going for the truth you got to as well say it and have it come straight from the source but working with them working with them is hard <laughs> to be very honest it's, it's it's it is the most difficult part of the book because um you know i'm very invested in writing this book because it's you know it'll be my name on it you know and it's you know i can i pay the rent you know so this is very important to me <laughs> but then you have these contributors who want to help because they want to they want to help they want to like contribute to the book they want to add something they want their voices heard but they're usually not as attached to it so you get a lot of flakes you get a lot of people ghosting i mean the people who ended up in morbid magic and queer magic there were a lot more i know and then and the, yeah and then it's like deadline time and you're just like oh so where is you where you you have something and then it's like oh no i i for, I, did, I forgot to tell you but i i did i decided a couple months ago not to write it i was like oh, okay you know it's like hurting head. anyone who's been in project management knows this it's getting a lot of different people with different agendas to coalesce into a single thing and do it well I and could so, not agree more. <laughs> yeah, so that's I mean, in the people who do it, it's fantastic, and it's it's just the the flakes, those are real tough. Or you know, sometimes life happens and you mm -hmm. can't do it. And I remember, like in the Morbid Magic one, I had this fantastic one set up for Polynesia. And it was this woman who, choreo, it's dancer who choreographed her own hula, you know, as a native Hawaiian, for the funeral of her son. And it was, mm. it was mixed old and new and it was fantastic. And she was going to give step-by-step step of how to do it. And then, you know, something happened, a, you know, personal to her. And she's like, I absolutely cannot do it. And it was legit. She could not do it. And I was like, okay. But I thought that story was so beautiful. Right. So it was just explaining that this is what this is rather than get something new. Because it was, it was too unique, even if it didn't manifest. But yeah, it's, it's the most difficult part. <laughs> But yeah. it ends up being the best part, so it's worth it. Right. I I can totally empathize with all of that as a as a uh, event manager. Sometimes putting art shows together and having to deal with or work with uh, you know several artists, and you can put your deadlines deadlines out there and say, okay, I need all this information by this date. And then it's two weeks after the deadline and you're like, well, the art show is tomorrow and I don't have anything from you. I'm sorry. You cannot be a part of this. And so I totally, I totally, totally know what that's like. So a note yeah. to anyone who is contributing to a event or a piece of work or part of a project, just be open and honest. And if you can't do something, then, you know, let them know because it's, that's the most important part is just letting people know. Oh yeah, and, and definitely shout out to all all the contributing authors who've made it in. You know, Morbid Magic and Queer Magic and any forthcoming ones. So those those are the superstars. You're looking at the people who were dedicated and did it, and you know, trudged through it because it ain't easy. So, props to everyone in those. Right, it's and it's it, it adds so much to your work. It really does. Um, you know, and that it says. Um, I think it says a lot more about your writing. Um, that you're able to present this, this information and share this with the world and then, you know, have the people who are living those experiences say it in those words. Right? I mean, I there's no way I could write what it's like being a druid drag queen who works for Her Majesty's coroner's office. <laughs> I have no idea what that's like. 
So <laughs> best if you know she writes it herself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Shout out to Chris. Story, find that <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Christopher Hughes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's good. It, Morbid Magic is a fantastic book. If if only for reading, you know, those those experiences and super personal, super personal. Um, you know, it's death. You know, we we're all touched by it all the time, especially now. Gosh. Yeah, support your local bookstore. Pick up Thomas's books. So I think you touched a little bit on this earlier, but because we, you know, just got done talking about death, and we're talking about death. Well, it's because I'm talking to Thomas Power. You're going to talk about death. Um, <laughs> facts. Am I wrong? It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so a lot of your work does deal with death or dead bodies, because um, you've worked in um, the mortuary field before. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know from. Lumosenta Muerte to Morbid Magic, like what keeps drawing you back to death kind of with a capital D? Um, I've always had a fascination with it. You know, um, when I was a kid and growing up, I grew up in the the golden age of children's horror. I mean, my my youth, youth, you know, the the formative years were when Tim Burton was at his creative peak, the Adams family movies were coming out, you know, there was all these morbid stuff happening silence of the lambs has been the second horror movie to win the academy award like horror was in the zeitgeist when i was a kid it was just everywhere and even like the cartoon shows like animaniacs and ren and stimpy and all that stuff it was very dark humor so i think i was shaped by a lot of that but also i i just found it fascinating because i was always that that kid that asks why but then like why to the why like i do this but why do you do that well because of this well well then why do you do that you know, trying to get down to the core of things. And death was that one thing no one could ever answer. It was that just like, where do you go? I go to heaven. Just because you do. You know, that's what we believe in. You know, I'm just like, that. that's not an answer. <laughs> so I've always been super fascinated by that. And, um, and yeah, that's what happened. In fact, um, I actually, um, the Santa Morte thing actually started happening before I worked in a, the death industry so i think she had a she had a hand in giving me that job for <laughs> sure <laughs> but um plus you know and then it compounds because you know same thing in hollywood when you have when you're a success at something and you break out success and one thing that's kind of what the industry looks at you as so when i have this like you know real big death book if someone wants to do a death podcast someone wants to do a death blog or someone wants you know death information i'm that person they go to you know, and they want another book out. Well, here's another death book. It's like I've become that go-to person in the industry for it, which I don't mind. I mean, I, so I don't mind being pigeonholed because I like it. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. But it's a mix of my own personalness, the zeitgeist when I was a child, and then just people wanting to capitalize upon initial success in pigeonhole, which is cool. I'm cool with that. Right. I mean, because at this point you have certainly an, an expertise in the topic you know you're a, a, a death professional in in multiple regards so that would make sense for people to want to when they're talking about that if they also have death adjacent media or something that going to you would be you know a no-brainer <laughs> oh yeah it's it's definitely the sum of the parts because there's lots of death books out there right but how many of them are about all this around the world stuff 
or how many of them are written by someone who works in a mortuary and deals with physical dead bodies and grief and loss. I mean, when you get all, all the little things definitely add up. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely a plus. Yeah. And I mean, and then you have like the, you know, you have a queer aspect to it as well. You know, you're, you do have that, that intersection that, you know, isn't always present. Oh yeah. Okay. And in fact, I was really surprised when queer magic was um, the, the second book that came out because, you know, I, I was certain it was going to be poo pooed and it, you know, everyone was going to say, we need another death book. You know, you guys with that cells are like, give us another. But no, Llewellyn was really cool about it. And I, I pitched it in a um I pitched it in a PantheaCon um party, you know, and yeah, it just sounded really good and everyone really liked it. And it, you know, it, it's all history now, but I was really surprised. So props to Llewellyn for being versatile. They they know good when they hear it. Yeah, no, Llewellyn is is great. They are definitely I stand. I stand Llewellyn. <laughs> <laughs> so like kind of going, I know we've talked about you being a little bit more of a private person, but when you're not writing about death or researching or lecturing or prepping those kind of things, uh, what do you like to do? Like what's, what's a normal kind of, what's a normal Friday or Saturday night look like for Tomas? Uh, my usual, I've had a Friday night ritual where uh, my friends are actually on a TV show called um, Vampire the Masquerade, L.A. by Night. Check it out if you can see it. <laughs> It'll change your life. Shameless plug because it's that good. Um, no, and so every Friday I've been watching <laughs> that show and every episode is like three hours. So that's been my Friday. But, um, you no, know, other than that, a lot of people think, you know, I'm probably surrounded by all these books and I read all the time, you know. And it, I actually don't. I used to a lot, but now like I do so much reading for like the research and everything else that it's it's work now. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I usually just watch movies. I'm a big movie snob. You know, I'm very Criterion Collection Academy Award winning standard movies that I got to see. But I also love my, you know, like classic Kung Fu poorly dubbed films, the weird art house ones. But I'm I'm usually trying to learn something, which sounds very, you know, haughty, but it's true. I mean, like in quarantine right now, um, I usually like to go out for walks and do things. But now I'm trying to I'm trying to learn Tai Chi. I'm trying to learn Mandarin, you know, and it's all this stuff that's going on right now because I again, it's I'm always asking why and I want to learn more and I want to have access to more things. And if I speak this language, I have access to that. If I'm more you know, fit and healthy and flexible, I have more access to like range and hiking and going places. So it's just self-improvement in some way or form. But if not, if not that, I'm probably listening to like seventies rock and roll outside drinking tea. That's my meditation moment. What's your go-to tea? Oh, I am obsessed with yerba mate. The Argentine tea. When I lived there, I became obsessed with it i drink like a liter some every day <laughs> and it oh it's so good and it's so hipster but i get i get mine imported from Argentina <laughs> in bulk and discount so i have like a three-year supply and bulk it's is where it's at <laughs> oh but it's so good whoever has not had yerba mate y'all need to try it not the tea bags like get out get out the loose leaf stuff do it right if you're gonna do it 
and drink it. It's extremely bitter, but I love that. I love my coffee black. I love no sugar added. I love no cream. I want to taste the reality. Do you do the roasted or the green? Ooh, I do. I like Argentine version with sticks in it, which sounds like, what? Sticks? But the sticks give it flavor. You'll know when you try it. But um, I like I like it a little roasted, which is how like the Argent- Argentine way of it. Mm-hmm. The the green version it's very Brazilian, but it's eh, you want is it for the to get Ramate podcast like it get there's too much powder in it, which then clogs <laughs> up like the the straw I use. So like the real techniques of everything, I just want it, and I like it from the roasted Argentine version. But I think that's because I, that's where I first found it. So I think there's a bias there. I mean, I was going to say it sounds delicious, but you said it sounds bitter, so I'd probably have to put You could destroy it and, you know, sin by putting honey in it or sugar. Or I mean, I don't judge people if, you know, if how I, they sin differently from me. That's how they do it. I um, don't do that. I know for a fact that you do judge people. Um, I, <laughs> I, think that, I think that there was a time where... We were at a bar and you publicly shamed me for ordering a gin and tonic. So I, I think I don't think that's how you pronounce educate, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because I used to love gin and tonics and you I think you ordered it or yeah. and I was just like, no, because tonic water has like this like unless you get good tonic water, if you get like generic bar tonic water, it has all this like high fructose corn syrup and like additive sugars in it. And I'm like, no, that that's bad for you. It's bad for your health. <laughs> I was uh, trying to save you. You were. Care. You do care. And now I don't drink gin and tonics anymore. The shame oh. runs too deep. <laughs> no, I, I have, I have officially switched over to gin and sodas. If that's, if that's the direction I'm wanting the night to head. Oh, good. Oh, yes. good. Yes. So I guess I have to thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, that was a very strange way to introduce this thank you in the beginning. <laughs> You're welcome. But welcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, gosh, we already covered a couple of my questions that I was going to ask. Like you said, you like 70s rock and old movies and all that. Um, so I was going to ask. You've lived in a lot of places around the world. You you really you really have. Um, where do you see yourself in ten years? Um, I try not to have a very pinpoint specific idea of it because you know expectation is the root of all heartache. Mm-hmm. And if I plan too hard for that, I might miss out on a lot of other things because a lot of adventures I've had were not. I don't want to say don't plan because you always got to have to have a plan, but you have to be very flexible with your plan and what you do. So as long as I see myself as like happy producing more books, you know, living my best life, then however way that manifests, it doesn't matter because I'd be happy and have more books out and I'd be living my best life. So the rest is all, you know, unnecessary. I'm happy. And that's more than most people. <laughs> That's true. It's true. It's hard to find that kind of contentment and happiness. So it, it, it's good. Yeah. Job. I, what I've seen with people is like they, everyone wants the things that they want to make them happy. It's usually 
things and money, which is totally cool, and you need money. I mean, second to oxygen is the most important thing in the world. But you, everything somebody wants, it's like it's because they believe they'll feel better in the having of it. So it's not that because I can envision myself in the future. I live in this big house in the Hollywood Hills, right? It's not that I would want a big house in the Hollywood Hills. What's underneath that is that I want to live in a secluded place. So I want to have my privacy and I want to have room. Can I get that by not living in a mansion in the Hollywood Hills? Yes. So by going underneath it and focusing, what do you really want from this? That's what I try to pay attention to. Well, it sounds like you're already kind of developing that or achieving that. I think so. I mean, it's coming about, so I'm, I'm having it. I'm happy. And it's, you know, which is weird to say right now in the time of a global pandemic, but excited for what's going to happen. Next. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, no, I think, yes, we can, you know, we can, we can mourn the loss of so many people and we can, you know, have all the feelings about that and, you know, you are still alive today. You can still take enjoyment in the fact that you are alive today. And, you know, I mean, you have to, right? I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. Also, another thing about that is I think a lot of people right now, because a lot of people, there's a lot of death denial that the world has where they don't, they don't, for some reason, they don't think they're going to die or they never want to talk about it. So it's never a reality. But I've had this when I was younger, you know, I legit thought I was going to die. Like I knew I was going to die about from something. And, you know, I, I knew I had like a month or two to live. Right. So I've been through my death, you know, existential crisis already. So I'm handling this a little better, but plus that's what got me so productive because when it found out like, Oh no, we were all wrong. You're actually going to live normally. You know, I've had that moment where you have 30 days to live. What are you going to do with your life? And that's when I started like, well, if I want to watch movies, I only want to watch the best movies. So I got really into like the Academy Award winning movies. If I want to read books, I want to read the best books. So I started reading all the good literature. I started wanting to do this stuff. And, you know, I'm not going to live forever. So I need to start writing some books now. And yeah, it just made me really productive. So with all this going on, you know, I don't have that, oh, I suddenly need to be productive moment or, oh, maybe I'm going to die. It's like, I've been through that. So I'm kind of, I'm very calm very happy that's a good thing that's a good thing oh yeah oh yeah yeah no and that's yeah congratulations on that i think that that um i'm not being snarky about that that's that is a good thing so i was going to ask if if someone wanted to do research outside of a university study and i know it's kind of like diving back into some less personal questions but what kind of advice would you would you give someone who has the idea for writing a book on a topic, but you know they either they don't have access to all the the university books or they've never gone to college, but they still want to, you know, do the investigation and 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 answer those unknowns? Um, how would you? What advice would you give to that person? Um, two things. The first one definitely is, you know, this is my soapbox moment, but university is completely unnecessary. You do not need to go to college. You do not need a higher education. What university is good for is it gets you out of your bubble. It has you meet lots of people and it teaches you how to research, how to go about looking for answers. Other than that, you can learn anything online, anything online. You do not need a university 
Mm-hmm. Nor do I believe you should need a university degree to show that you can do something. So that moment's over. But yeah, one thing is don't stress about it. Don't worry about being academic perfect. Write what do what you can. I mean, if you want to be a writer, then a writer is one who writes. So if you ain't writing, you're not a writer. But if you are writing, you're a writer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just not being so hard and just taking everything very simply and just do what you can. The other thing, too, is um, what you need to do is you definitely have to look into what you know and what you can do because everyone has a story to tell and everyone can say everything. But what is it that you can do really well? And examine why do you want to write this? Because then that leads to a lot of other questions like do you want to get it published? If you want to get it published, my number one advice is make yourself marketable. (laughs) which is a whole other conversation. But so figure out what is it that you really want from it. Do you want to write this book because you want to have something published? Do you want to write this book because you need the world to know this information? Or do you want to try to capitalize on just research? So know why you're doing it and then try to find, is there an easier way to go about it? But um, the most generic, absolute generic advice that I have now is, There's so much information out there. But the problem nowadays, the old days, it was trying to get access to all this information. Like you had to go to that one library in Venice that had this one book. We had to talk to this one person about this information. Everything, all human knowledge is out there for you to learn. So there's no no limits to that. But the problem is there's so much information and there's so much bad information out there. I would say find someone you trust, find a source that you trust to curate information. Don't go randomly reading every book or every article. Find someone you know who can give you good articles. Find your sensei. Find a teacher. And that could be as simple as finding someone you respect, sending them an email. I mean, they're probably home right now. (laughs) And just say, hey, you know, I really like your books, your movies, you know, whatever it is you do. I want to be like it. I want to do this too. Um, do you know any good books I should start reading? Do you know any movies I should start seeing? Do you know any things I should start doing? So find someone to get actual practical advice that is good. Don't just wade through the trash sea of the internet and find something that you think is good but is actual trash. <laughs> it's true. There is a lot of unsubstantiated, just poorly, poorly done, poorly researched, poorly researched. Ugh poorly researched just no good stuff out there i think that that advice of finding a teacher who you know that you respect and reaching out that's like number one. Oh yeah ab- absolutely and even so and even it, your sources don't even have to be super academic i mean when you do it more you learned like what's what's better but I mean, going back to the the contributing authors in Queer Magic and Morbid Magic, those are some of people's favorite, um, you know, pieces in the whole book. And those aren't footnoted with like, oh, this person is saying this because they read it in an article that's been peer reviewed. These are just people talking about their lives. Mm-hmm. And just that is good information in itself. So if you have nothing else, talk about your life. Because you know that. You can say that and ain't no one else can say it. I think that's super good advice. Just, you know, I mean, that that is literally the write what you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and if you don't know something, it'll it'll come out. People will read it. 
mm-hmm. people will read it. If you ever read like multiple books on the same subject, you'll you'll notice who knows a bit more and you'll notice who doesn't. So don't be inauthentic. Exactly. Uh, well, I think that's all the questions I had for you, unless there was something else that you wanted to talk about or share or now would be the time to do so um, or just plug your shit. Sure. Um, you can get um, Tomas Prower books. Definitely go get the books. Um, preferably don't get it from Amazon. I mean, if you have to and you want to, you know, not go to heaven, you could do that. But support your local bookstores. Get it from, like, the publisher directly. If you want to help me, definitely write a good review. I mean, do what you can. It takes, like, what, five seconds? Show your appreciation. But um, if you want to find me, you can feel free to reach out to me. Facebook is probably the best place to do it. Again, all the social media is Tomas Prower. Instagram, I don't really pay attention to, but I post it because I got to have one. Don't contact me on Twitter. My Twitter posts are just the the remnants of my Facebook posts. <laughs> <laughs> Says we all know what Twitter is really good for. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not a big Twitter fan. I'm there because you have to be there, but I'm not I'm not really there. But um yeah, just find me uh and read read the books and reach out if you want to. Um other than that, I would say take it easy on yourself. I mean, like don't take life too seriously and just I mean, it's it's not meant to be taken seriously. I mean, have you seen all the jokes God's playing on us? I mean, he has a sense of humor. You can have one, too. <laughs> have you seen an echidna? They have four penises. That's pretty great. <laughs> I did not know that. But look at that. You learn something new every day. I'm a mystic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm answering the unknowable. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was oh. good. Bringing it full circle. Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I always love talking with you and hanging out whenever we're in the same city. Um, and thanks for coming on here. I'm super excited to actually ask these questions. And hopefully people will will be inspired and absolutely go get the books. Like, Get it from your local bookstore. Get it from Magus. We always have copies in stock. I make sure of it. Um, <laughs> they're fantastic. <laughs> they're great books. Um, or or, your, or get it from your local bookstore, your local, uh, the one that you know and love the people over there. Um, they're fantastic. Or directly from the publisher. So let's not give any more money than necessary to Amazon. Yes. I mean, amen. Amen. <laughs> exactly uh well i'm gonna let you go so i will talk to you later all right and that was our interview with thomas power i hope that it sparked interest in learning more about the world uh and maybe even looking at death in a new way If you're interested in purchasing any of his books, they can be found from the publisher directly, Llewellyn, or at all independent bookstores, including our sponsor, Magus Books and Herbs. The music you've heard today is Trail of Tears by Purple Planet. 
Thanks again to Thomas for calling in, and thank you, listener, for spending your time here at the Arcane Academy. If you like this show, please like, share, and subscribe. Leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. That really helps get the podcast into more people's ears. Uh, And with that, this has been Marcus K. Ironwood, and I wish you a wonderful day. Goodbye.